is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 553, recorded Thursday, October 7th, 2021. Welcome to the program, everybody. I'm delighted to be here, as I'm sure you are too, Jason, right? I am delightful to be here. It's like, you know, it's very similar to, uh, to you, but I am delightful to be here. You, you actually are. I would agree with that. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> and that is great. That is great. We here in Canada are going into a long weekend. I know it's only Thursday night as we speak this, and many people have to work tomorrow. I, however, am lucky enough that I have tomorrow off, and then Monday is a holiday. So we're looking at the good old big-time fancy pants four-day long weekend to celebrate, as we call it up here, Canadian Thanksgiving. Canadian Thanksgiving, yeah. I do not have tomorrow off, but uh, most of the other people on my project have tomorrow off, so it feels like a, a day off. Yeah, it it really feels like a Friday night for me, which is which is nice. And uh, it's nice. I am looking forward to the time off. So a big happy Thanksgiving to all the Canadians out there around the world who may be. Uh, doing some Thanksgiving stuff this weekend. And uh, you Americans, when you have your Thanksgiving in like a month and a half or whatever that is, then you enjoy it too. Yeah. And my experience with uh, with Americans, because a lot of the uh, projects I've been working on lately have been based out of the U.S. So working with a lot of people in the U.S. and their thoughts on Canadian Thanksgiving and American Thanksgiving is that uh, us Canadians get to have it out of the way early. Like we get a nice big long break between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Right. Whereas in the U.S. they have Thanksgiving and then you're full on bore down on, uh, on Christmas. There's no pause. There's no waiting. It's uh, your full on Christmas mode is the second that Thanksgiving is over. Yeah. Well, we at least get to take a pause and go, oh, that was nice. Right. We, we, have, to pa- we have a pause and then we have to deal with Halloween, which is awesome. And, and then still, you know, ease into Christmas. I've always thought American Thanksgiving was way too late in the year. Yeah. And my experience is also that we take it less seriously than the, than the Americans. Uh, like, that may be true too. Yeah. I, I don't know if, uh, if it's as big a deal up here uh, as it is down in the U.S. Well, maybe not. It's, it's not too far behind though. I, I enjoy it quite a bit, but mostly enjoy as do I. the long weekend. So here we go into that. Uh, all right. We are, of course, here right now, today, to do our feedback for Season 11, Episode 7. But first, as usual, I'm going to give us, I'm going to give you the ratings numbers for Promises Broken, Episode number 7, and it's up a tiny bit to 1.89 million. Holy cannolis. I know. It's, I, you know what? I didn't make this note, but I have a feeling that's the second highest rated episode so far this season. Now, we've only had seven, of course, and it will definitely have episodes that are rated higher than that. In fact, maybe uh, the next one, number eight, because it's the first mid-season finale. But for now, Promise is Broken got 1.89, and that's not terrible. Yeah, it feels like a roller coaster that we're on. I mean, it's the world's lamest roller coaster because it goes up a little bit and then down a little bit and then up and then down and then down and then and then up a little bit and then down. So it, but it is a roller coaster. There's lots of ups and downs. It's just a really crappy roller coaster. That is very true. Many ups and downs, but none of them are significant enough to make you raise your hands in the air and go, woo. Yeah. 
that's, that's true. Just not going to happen. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the ratings. Let's do it, Jason. Let's get into the listener feedback. Surely. Listener feedback. Item the first is an email from other Mike in London. And other Mike writes, I enjoyed this episode. The Commonwealth mystery is unraveling nicely. The Reaper's plot line seems to be wrapping up. Please, God, tell me it's wrapping up. And there were no gratuitous scenes of torture or horse mutilation. No horse mutilation. That's true. Yeah, I know. I'm glad you pointed that out, other Mike. I, I, I do, too. I'm glad he pointed it out as well. And, like... I, I, you know, we were, we're done with scenes of torture. I wouldn't be surprised if, if it happens again at some point before this show uh, wraps up for good, but I can do, I could probably do with no more horse mutilation uh, for the rest of my life. So great yeah. walking dead. I'm glad to have put that behind us now. We did get murder. I mean, Daryl did shoot that woman in the face. I mean, sure. She was going to become a zombie and it was a mercy killing for sure. But uh, we did get uh, we did get a little bit of uh, crossbow bolt to a human's face murder. I mean, uh, but we, other than that, like there's no torture involved. But there could have been every other time somebody has encountered somebody random in the uh, out, out out in the world, they fucking tortured them. Uh, so luckily, this one just uh, involved a, a little light murder. Yeah, I'm glad. I there was the opportunity there, right? The the husband of the of this woman, uh, you know, they weren't very nice to him at first, and he claimed to have no idea what they were talking about when it came to the reapers and the patrols and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, that's a perfect opportunity for Leah not to believe him and strap him to a chair and start punching him in the face until he tells her what he doesn't know. So you know, I I'm glad they didn't go there. And yes, we got murder, but. I mean, we, <laughs> there's it's been light murder, light, and there's been more of that on the show than anything else in, in a lot of ways. Uh, plus we didn't actually see it. Don't forget. They didn't show it. We saw Daryl pull the trigger and we just heard the bolt hit something squishy. And then yeah. that was that PG 13 murder, PG 13 murder, I guess. No right. blood and happened off screen. There you go. That's awesome. All right. Next we have an email from Cindy in Columbus, Ohio. I really do hope the Reaper storyline wraps up this week. I'm sure Leah won't make it out alive, but that's okay with me. I'd rather see Daryl with Connie. And I'm sure I won't, I'm sure they won't end up together because of the spinoff. I wish we didn't already know it was happening. For me, it's tainted everything that might happen this season with Carol and Daryl. Right. So this is kind of uh, Cindy speculating, I think, about uh, the next episode, but it kind of goes in line with what other Mike in London was saying about how, you know, Please, God, tell me the Reaper story is wrapping up. I feel like many of us are ready for that to happen. Uh, and the Reapers have only been around for eight episodes. I, I know I feel that way. And I, I sort of want to move on. I mean, the Commonwealth has its issues as, as well. But I just overall, in general, I find myself a little bit more interested in that storyline. So, yeah, let's let's move on from the Reapers. For sure. Now, the other thing about Cindy's message here that it started get got me thinking is that she mentions the spinoff with Daryl and Carol. And so yeah. I recalled that way back at some point, Jason, you and I were talking about this and we made a friendly wager or, or maybe just not really a wager, but maybe just a prediction. Each of us made a prediction about what episode in season 11 would be the final episode for Daryl and or 
Carol. Knowing that they're going off onto their own spinoff show, we kind of assumed that they were going to survive because they have to survive to go to the spinoff show. Yep. Unless there's some sort of weird creative storytelling thing that goes on. But we made our guesses for which episode would be their last in season 11. Now, you probably don't remember those guesses or even doing this. I have no memory of that whatsoever. No, that's 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 fine. Uh, well, I didn't really either, but I did recall that a ways back, listener Margaret emailed to remind me of what episode that was and what we've said. So I just so I dug that up, and I would just like to thank Margaret for sending that in because that email from her came from, uh, back in April of this year, so it's been a little while. And she reminded me that it was episode number 501 of the wow. podcast that we that we made these predictions. And your prediction, Jason, was that Carol and Daryl would stay all the way through season 11, right up until, until episode 24, the final episode of the, sh- the main show. That sounds like me. And I predicted that they would be gone on episode 21 which would leave, you know, three more towards the end without them. There'd be some sort of big finale for the two characters. Maybe or maybe not together, I don't know. But to choose one episode, I went with number 21. So I have now written that down on a sticky note and stuck it to my wall here beside my recording setup, which I believe I was said I was going to do all the way back in 501, but never did. But I've made good on that. So now we can keep an eye on that and see who was closest without going over super that's uh price is right rules i love it except you chose episode 24 so there's no way for you to go over <laughs> even better <laughs> or be I, mean, under. How, I can't lose or i can lose but i won't go over i won't lose by price is right rules yeah that's right so either way thank you margaret for uh reminding me of that and i look forward to finding out what it's going to be if they stay right to the end or if they're gone earlier super fun stuff All right, uh, next, let's do a call from Monica. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Monica from Seattle. I am a longtime listener since season two and first time calling. Uh, First of all, I recorded this message probably like four times. Turns out saying Pope is really hard. Um, I also want to start out saying just God in general, I just love this episode. I was on the edge of my seat. And the tension between Pope, Daryl, and Leah was so palpable throughout the whole thing. The next thing I wanted to mention is how much I loved Leah during this episode. Everything she did was somehow surprising, but yet just it made perfect sense for her character that they set her up to be in her perspective. I mean, if she thinks protecting family is the most important thing, of course she's going to kill Pope. He's causing family members to die. And of course, she isn't going to run off with Daryl and leave her family. And of course, of course, she's going to continue killing our gang. Otherwise, all her family is going to get totally slaughtered. She was predictable and made sense. And that in itself was unpredictable. It went against the TV tropes I was totally expecting. And that was fabulous. I was mediocre about her before, but this episode made me 100% Aaliyah stan. God, I really hope Walking Dead keeps it up. Okay, 
Thanks for everything you guys do to make the Walking Dead universe just so much more enjoyable. You guys absolutely make me laugh. Bye. Thank you so much, Monica. So what do you what do you think, Jason? Are are you on board with with Leah and what she's got going on on the show? Uh, sort of. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, like Cindy said earlier, it's hard to it's hard to take Leah seriously knowing that Daryl's going to continue on in the in the spinoff and uh, Leah is not. Wait, do we know that? We know it's a Carol uh, and Daryl spinoff, but. We have no reason to think that other people, like nobody else can go. Like uh, there's no, there's no reason to believe that nobody else is allowed to be on that spinoff show, right? No, there's no reason. I mean, in theory, any of the characters could, uh, could go with them as a regular character or just pop up once in a while, or who knows, maybe a character could leave and be in the first three episodes and then disappear somehow. There's all kinds of possibilities. I mean, I don't think there's, there's not going to be a Negan or a Maggie or a Father Gabe or an Aaron or any of those people are uh, are going to, or Michonne uh, are going to be in the spinoff. Like those people, we know for sure that those people are not going to be in, but we, you know, there's no reason why Leah can't go with them. I mean, I guess you never know about Michonne. She's not even on this show anymore. So who knows where she might show up. Uh, but you're right. There is no reason Leah couldn't go. And frankly, there, you know, now you have a threesome on the road that, there could be some internal tension amongst that those three characters for sounds good to me various reasons yeah um but you know i don't know like i don't think there's any reason to believe that leah will necessarily be killed off is she going to leave the reapers is she going to come back with daryl is she going to get pissed off with daryl i mean and and try to kill him we we just don't know uh monica's point though was really that she she was behaving in a predictable way, but that was good, and I think, and that was okay because she was behaving like a real person might behave in this situation, which is sometimes difficult for TV shows, right? They have characters yeah. that behave like, well, characters rather than, than people. Yeah, and it's, it's difficult for uh, people to write people to behave like human beings. Uh, look at Arthur C. Clarke for crying out loud. I mean, the, the most human character in 2001 Space Odyssey was the HAL 9000. Everybody else was this wooden flat, you know, character. He's, Arthur C. Clarke is a fantastic writer, one of my favorite authors of all times, but he cannot write a character to save his life or could not. May he rest in peace. Uh -huh. uh, his characters are all flat and then they have, and the stories have nothing to do with them, but character writing is hard. And Leah has character and she does behave like a human being in this episode, which is good. And it shows that she's willing to defy Pope uh, in the orders that, uh, that he gave her to murder these people. Uh, so she, she is capable of defying that. So maybe she is a redeemable character which is nice, and we did learn that about her in this episode. Yeah. It's, well, it, sorry, we learned more that she's willing to do this. We've had other inklings of that in the past, yeah. like when she said, follow my lead, uh, before they tried to murder her and, and, and Daryl with the fire. Right. So, we, but we're learning that she is willing to defy Pope uh, in order to, uh, because of moral reasoning, rather than just being an obedient soldier. Yeah, and I feel like she does things based on moral reasoning, as you said, right? Because there are scenes where she stands up to Pope, you know, and defends the other uh, Reapers, her other brothers and sisters in this group. 
uh, like when he's freaking out about how can you guys not have not found our enemies by now? Like there's, there's dozens of these people out there. What the hell are you doing? And she steps over and is like, you know, if you're going to scream at somebody, scream at me. They're not doing anything wrong. They're, they're doing their jobs. But then at other times, of course, when she's talking to Daryl or, or somebody else, she really defends Pope as the person who, who uh, has created this community for them and kept them together and kept them going and safe and things like that. So, um, Popey Pope, Pope, Pope is, she's all about the Pope. Uh, yep. Popey Pope, Pope Shabadoo. It's hard to say Pope. Popey Pope. Pope, 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 Pope. pope. <laughs> yeah. Pope. Pope took a poop on the porch. That's well, a. At least, at least you didn't take a poop on the Pope. That's right. <laughs> because there's two different popes in this situation. There's the pope, and this is a pope. Correct. Right? So yeah. we're saying a pope took a poop on the pope. That's not great. No, bad. On yeah. the porch, yeah. Well, you know, taking a poop on anybody, really. Sorry, I have a very young son, and this is conversations we have a lot. <laughs> not about popes, more about poop, but sure. <laughs> still. I'm not surprised. <laughs> All right, man. <laughs> Moving on. Yes. You're up. I'm up? All right. You're... Jennifer. We have a we have a message from Jennifer. Nope. No, that was... No, wait a minute. Where are we? You're up. You, we just did Monica. We're... Okay, I'm up. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, we might need to edit that. Or not. I don't give a shit. Next, we have an email from Jennifer in Glasgow. Uh, Jennifer writes, I thought Leah purposefully ignored what Daryl wanted to say, as I suspect she already knows and doesn't want to choose between him and the Reapers. So let me just start by saying here that uh, Jennifer sent a much longer email than that one sentence. <laughs> but uh, I as, I, as I've been known to do, I, I cut things down a little bit to try and um, keep focus and, and hit a lot of different topics and so on. So Jennifer, I apologize. I think it's the first time I've ever taken just one single sentence from a longer <laughs> email. Um, but thank you so much for your email. Uh, but regarding this specific thing here, this is in response to me complaining about how Daryl, after they, they killed that woman in the house, uh, he goes, hey, I got to tell you something, but she gets distracted by the radio and never follows up on it. So I liked Jennifer's thought here in that she, she knows what he's going to say and she doesn't want to hear it. So she hasn't pressed him on it yet. Yeah, it's that denial thing. It, we've got to talk. It's like, oh, the baby's crying. Right. I better go <laughs> deal with that. Um, I better, yeah. <laughs> oh, it sounds like the cat's puking. Better go deal with that. <laughs> yep. Got to wash my hair. Uh, I'll be right back. It'll take me all night. It's going to take me all night. I got to let it dry. Yeah. And it takes so long to let it dry. And I got to, you know, then I have to iron it. You know, right. they used to do that. People used to do that. You would, uh, you'd take candle wax and you drip candle wax onto the hair Weirdos. and then iron it on an ironing board to make it super shiny and straight. That's weird. It's not, it, well, now they use straightening irons and hair products, but, uh, you know, back in the day, when I say the day, I mean the seventies, probably they used to iron their hair. People oh. ironed their hair for crying out loud. That's wild, man. Wild. Anyways, thank you, Jennifer, for that. I think it's a pretty good explanation, true or not true, for why she uh, she ignored him in that moment, or they just couldn't fit it in the episode, and we're going to get more of that on the, you know, next one, but uh, I don't know. I like it for now, and that's how I'm going to explain it to myself in my brain. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a, uh, a way of ramping up the drama, 
right? Oh my God, what is Daryl going to have to say? What is he saying? What's going on? What's going to happen? What do you think? But at least we have a plausible way of uh, understanding it from a character's point of view. Yes, exactly. Uh the thing is, the, the drama that comes out of that, or the drama, whichever, is that, like, we all know what he's going to say. I think we can safely assume what he wants to tell her. The drama comes from how she's going to react to it, right? And that's what they're holding back on with uh, with the audience, that uh, what's she going to do when she hears that he's not really one of them, and maybe he is uh, actually part of this other group that they think are their enemies, so whether that comes or not, because, you know, maybe they won't have time to talk about it with this giant zombie horde that Maggie is leading towards them. I don't know, but it should be the reaction that gets that's interesting. So I do hope we get it. It'd be nice if they had that conversation just as, oh, you know what's going to happen? He's going to bring it up again. He's going to say, uh, I got to talk to you about something. She's fro- probably going to turn and say, okay, what? And start to listen. He's going to start to talk. And then all of a sudden the zombies are going to knock on the door and they're going to get distracted again. I, yeah, probably. I feel I'm, like I'm that's still, it. I'm still fairly convinced that uh, his con- what he wants to talk to her about is the fact that he has some kind of STD. I'm pretty sure <laughs> that it has something to do with that and not that uh, he's not fully in with the Reapers. Because I think she knows that already. She kind of understands that Daryl uh, is not really there to become a Reaper. Uh, you know, because she was, you know, she said, just follow my lead. She wants to get him out of that. She knows that he's not there for that. So the, uh, the other explanation for that is, uh, you know, I, I have... Uh, I'm not going to name a specific SDD, but I have, uh, I have something I need to talk to you about and it's fairly important before we take this relationship to the next level. All right. Well, I mean, it's, those are the only two options I figure. I'm, I'm, I'm not one of you or I have an STD. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm married, right? If you start getting into a relationship with someone sure. and it's starting to get a little bit serious and uh, then, you know, the person says we have to talk. It's like, oh shit, you're married, aren't you? I think we're dating ourselves, you and me, a little bit too, because I'm pretty sure the current terminology is STI, sexually transmitted infection, not disease. But I don't know. When we were kids, it was disease. Oh, okay. Well, it could be, I, I could have meant disorder. I have a sexually transmitted disorder. I don't think that's right. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I wonder how that would work. Anyhow. We'll see. We'll see what it is. Let's move on right now to Tom on the internet who writes, why doesn't Daryl have a mask like the rest of the Reapers? When Daryl and Leah were out scouting or whatever they were doing, she has her mask on her belt, but Daryl doesn't have one. If Pope has welcomed him into the group, why doesn't he have a mask? It seems to be part of their uniform. They've had people die recently, so they would have extras. Could this be a production oversight or is there something I missed? Well, they got to take him to the uh, the mask craft table uh, so that he can make his own mask. I mean, it's the same thing as Jedi, right? When you become a Jedi, right. you make your own lightsaber. So I don't think they pass out, a, you know, dead people's masks because uh, that would be confusing and, and dishonoring them, I think. Sure, uh, yeah. So Daryl's got to make his own mask and they just haven't had time yet. I guess that must be it. I was thinking that they just, you know, the show just doesn't want to put Daryl in a mask all the time. Although that doesn't really hold up as a theory either because the Reapers all stopped wearing them also. So I don't know. It's maybe, maybe they're not wearing their masks out of solidarity with the new guy 
that hasn't had a chance to make their mask yet in order to make him feel less awkward about being singled out for not having a mask yet. Sure. They've all decided we're not going to wear our masks until Daryl has had a chance to sit down at the craft table and make a mask. Uh, so maybe that's, uh, that's why they're not wearing their masks. Why not? I mean, you don't want them to feel left out. So <laughs> the Reaper craft table, he's got to go, he's got to get there. They're- they're a very <laughs> inclusive bunch and they don't want to feel anybody, they don't want to feel, they don't want to single out anybody for feeling awkward, right? No, that's nice of them. Yeah. So maybe that's the, uh, the explanation I'll hang on to for why they're not wearing their masks. Okay. I like it. <laughs> craft table, lack of craft table. <laughs> craft <laughs> time. table time. Craft table time. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's already all set up, right? It's, you know, they have their, you know, they have their different workstations at the craft tables and their, uh, you know, their buckets of glitter. Of course uh, they do. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't you put glitter on a mask? If you're going to sit down at a craft table and you're going to make a mask, you're going to put some glue in that thing and you're going to put some glitter on it. Glitter that sucker up. It'd be fantastic. I want to make a mask craft table for Jasper's birthday next year. Do it. I think that'd be fantastic. Paper plates, glitter, glue, uh, tissue paper. This is a great idea. All right, moving on. Next, we have an email from Jimmy on the internet. Jimmy writes... While Gabriel is scoping out Meridian, on the building's roof, there was a curious green military-style storage chant, tent with un- undisclosed contents. What would they want or need to store in a tent on the roof when you have intact buildings that could keep the contents better protected? Perhaps some heavy, te- heavy military, uh, heavy artillery or a comm system. When Gabe returns, he tells Maggie, it's still there. I guess the it being referred to is not Meridian, but is actually the contents of the green tent, and those contents will play a key role in the upcoming storyline slash battle. Also, how much funnier would the scene have been if the props department gave Gabriel a, Gabriel a telescope rather than binoculars? Yeah, I do think that would be uh, really, really funny because he is one eye and, you know, a telescope. You just need the one eye. Uh, that would be hilarious. Now. It would. The, the big green tarped thing on the roof, I noticed it too, but I didn't really think twice about it. However, what Jimmy is saying here makes a lot of sense. When he goes back to Maggie and he says it's still there, like, why would he be just going to make sure Meridian is still there? Of course it's still there. Why are they leaving? Like, it's not going anywhere. It's a whole complex of buildings. Uh, Well, I mean, it might've been a joke. Right. It's still there. It's like how, you know, scoping out Meridian. Well, it's still there. Okay, fine. You know, it might have been. A, a, it's a dad joke. I, it's a bad, uh, you know, terrible joke, but it could still be a joke. Fair enough. But I mean, why would she send him at all to go on this scouting mission? Like to, yes, gather intel about what their, their uh, practices are right now because they are about to attack them with zombies. Fine. I can get that. But to come back and be like, it's still there. Okay, I suppose it's a dad joke, but I like Jimmy's theory about there's something in particular that he was looking for, checking for, and that they really wanted to know if it was still there, either because it's supplies they need, or it's something that is going to make Meridian a much more difficult place to attack, or easier for the Reapers to defend for some reason. And if it's whatever's under that big green tarp on the roof... Uh, I, I mean, it sort of stood out, so I wouldn't be surprised. And it's a, it's a beehive. It's, they have a really oh. giant beehive and they're attacking Meridian so that they can get their honey back. 
Okay, sure. Whatever it might be. Beehive, you know. Honey's delicious. (laughs) It is good. Right? Is it worth fighting a war over? Uh, I'm not going to say no, because we've fought some wars over some pretty stupid things. That's true. In the past as human beings. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, at least a skirmish wasn't uh, precipitated by uh, honey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a (laughs) honey skirmish. (laughs) The the honey wars. Uh, I'm going to look that up later. Might already be a thing, yeah. It could be anything. It could be, I don't think it's heavy artillery. Like, what are they going to shoot at? Heavy artillery is not meant for anti-personnel, and basically all that's left in the world is personnel, right? It's true. So, you know, having a, uh, you know, having a howitzer up there or some, you know, some kind of artillery piece doesn't make a lot of sense because uh, that's for shooting buildings and tanks and things like that. But uh, since they don't have tanks, they do have buildings, but... Uh, you know, it's like using a ballista against a person. Like, really? I mean, sure, it's going to do the job if you can hit the person, but uh, it's really not meant for that kind of thing. Right, right. So the point is we don't know what's under that uh, tarp. We don't know if it's going to play into the plot of the, or the story here that we've got going. Uh, but they did show it, and he did say it is still there. So I think it's something... And it could just be a storage of food or something like that. And they want to know if it is worth going to all this trouble to take down Meridian or take down the Reapers and take over Meridian again for that. Because like if that wasn't there, maybe that wouldn't be, maybe it wouldn't be worth the risk. I don't know. But yeah, if this was Fear the Walking Dead, I'd be pretty sure it was a nuclear bomb. Yeah, that's right. Or a hot air balloon. Either one. (laughs) I could go either way on that one. One of those two things, right. But it's not, so it will be something a little little bit less ridiculous, we hope. Comms equipment makes sense. Right. Kind of does. Unless they want to, you know, communicate with satellites or if maybe they're in communication with uh, other military groups around the world. Or what if this, this communication system that's under there is what puts them in touch with you know, in regular touch with the Commonwealth or who knows, even the CRM, right? CRM, like, yeah. you know, they, I, I don't feel like Alexandria has ever had a great communication system. They have sort of what, uh, and Alexandria, I mean the group in general, they have what Eugene was able to throw together, but now maybe it is something like that and they'll be able to communicate with the outside world way better and open up the world to the world beyond, Jason, except that's oh, already a show. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> now, uh, I don't recall this uh, tarp. Was it big enough to hold a helicopter? No, it was a, definitely a square box shape okay. thing too. So it wasn't over a helicopter and nothing like that. Drone maybe? I don't know. Maybe. I, I'm not um, sure. What it, would you put under a tent on a roof? And, you know, yeah. my, obviously my first thought is a beehive. But other than that, comms equipment, helicopter, drone, uh, nuclear bomb. <laughs> right. You're back onto that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it could, I, it's not a vehicle. I don't think it's a vehicle. If it was a vehicle, it would be some sort of, you know, ground-based vehicle, but it was on the roof. And so that wouldn't make any sense. Uh, yeah. So, so I don't know. I am not really sure, hmm. but it's there and I feel like it's going to play a part. I, I agree. All right. Uh, next, it's my turn, and we have a call from Matt. No, we have an email from Matt in South Wales. Matt writes, I may be a million miles off the mark here, not having rewatched the episode, but for some reason I thought that the Reapers 
Chaplin was blind. He seemed to feel his way towards the graveyard through the long grass, and when he drew his knife, sensing a threat, he didn't seem to focus on anything in particular, and seemed to be listening more than anything. Which makes sense, as he was essentially staring right at Father Gabe. Maybe Gabe didn't kill him, not only because he was a brother of the cloth, but because he could empathize with him uh, for being blind. Albeit, Father Gabe still has one good eye. Well, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, right? That is true. But do you think that guy, that Reaper Chaplin, was maybe blind? His, I, I don't know. He did sort of behave in a way that kind of indicated that, now that I think about it. Uh, I'm not really sure. Okay. I mean, it sure would be ironical, but... Uh, I'm, I think it would be, it would be cool if he was blind and it was just like a, you know, a, uh, uh, what do you call those things? A twist at the, a twist ending, um, a twist, plot twist, plot well, twist. Yeah. Uh, I think it would be a plot twist. I think that'd be kind of cool, but, uh, I'm not sure that they would go there. Yeah. Two chap, two priesty type people. Uh, one is blind, one is blind in one eye. Uh, I don't know. Eh, Seems kind of weird. I'm Both, not sure. You know, paramilitary, if not fully military, like we got the chaplain there. And he also had this really long, you know, ankle length leather jacket, which seems kind of really weird for a military person. But, you know, if you're a chaplain, you gotta look cool somehow, right? Well, not that weird for a religious person like that. So, um, but Leah had the same coat on. So obviously this hmm. is part of their uniform. They just like the long full length hoodies. I mean, who doesn't really, if I, if I had one. I'd wear that sucker. I don't know. My, uh, I had a friend who had a, a one of those long uh, Western dust jackets. Uh, yeah. What do you call those things? Those brown things that are like oiled leather that are like ankle length. Oh, that's awesome. Wore, he wore it around all the time. He looked like an idiot. He just complete moron <laughs> for years. <laughs> he did. Anybody out there who walks around wearing one, I'm sure you look great. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I'm sure it's a fantastic uh, fashion statement that uh, really does you justice. But he lo- he also had a really long ponytail. Uh, and when I met him, he had a perm, uh, like an actual perm. He went to a went to a place where he said, "I want a perm," and then they spent hours giving him a perm. And then he walked around like that until it went away months later, or I don't know how long perms take to go away, but. These were all choices that were made by human beings. By one in particular human being, I guess. This this particular human being, um, God love him, but he made some, he had some weird choice. He wore night shirts. Like <laughs> when he went to bed, it's just like in a nightcap, like an actual, anyway, this guy was odd. Okay. So maybe the, uh, the dust, the duster was appropriate because he made choices like this all the time. I mean, he had to protect his perm, so he wears a nightcap. Well, they didn't all happen at the same time. I've known this guy for decades, oh. right? But uh, So <laughs> these all kinds of happens, you know, here and there. I don't know if he still wears a nightshirt, but I bet you he does. All There's right. no reason why he wouldn't. Well, no, but I mean, a lot of people wear pajamas to bed. Yes, pajamas, fine. Fucking nightshirt? Like, What's the l- difference? What's a nightshirt? It, okay, it's uh, not just a of, shirt you uh, wear to bed? Think of Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. Oh, okay. You're right? talking about he a wore... nightgown, like all the way to the floor. No, well, yeah, all the way to the floor. It's okay. a night. It's a night shirt that goes all the way to the floor. It's just one piece. He wore nothing underneath it, with a friggin' hat <laughs> on it that was like uh, a long nightcap that went down to like hung down to his waist. I mean, I kind of want to ask you how you know all this, but I think maybe I won't. No, I've known this guy for a long time. Uh, were we ever roommates? 
Not really, but... Uh, he just slept over once in a while. Well, I mean, I'd go over to his house, we'd watch X-Files, and I'd just crash for the night. Okay, he'd get fair. up in the morning, be wearing a fucking nightshirt. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. Sounds hilarious. No, I was a roommate. He was my roommate for months when I first moved to Toronto. Uh, we shared a basement apartment for about six months, maybe eight months. Okay. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad to hear that for various reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. Anyway, what are we talking about? Oh, yeah, long jackets that don't make sense for military personnel. And the chaplain might be blind, but might not be. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> I think I think you're next. That was, all right. So I went off the rails there. I apologize for that. Next, we have an email from Lewis in Norwich, UK. Norwich? Norwich. Correct. Norwich? Yeah, Norwich. N- Norwich. Uh, Lewis writes, uh, was anyone else surprised to see the Reapers driving around the Meridian in a car? Given as we approximately we are approximately six years from our heroes raiding the Smithsonian for a wooden cart, it seems a little unlikely that a neighboring group would be so rich in fuel that they can afford to cruise around their compound like such. I mean, hell, even in the Commonwealth, all with all its abundance, has a horse-drawn ice cream van. Maybe it's supposed to be a comment on just how well-stocked Meridian is, or perhaps it's meant to demonstrate how wasteful reapers are but for me, it seems like a bit of nonsense. I did, however, appreciate the fact that when we were viewing Meridian from Father Gabe's POV, the image was monocular, despite the fact that he was equipped with binoculars. Right. So back to that, uh, he was looking through binoculars, but the camera only showed the one side, which I thought was funny. Now, I know binoculars merge the two lenses into one, right? When you use them correctly. But yes. But in the shot, if you notice, the the view through it was shifted to one side. So it really was one eye looking through one uh, lens. So I didn't notice that, but that's funny. Well done show there. As for the car, I had to go back and check for this too, because I watched the episode twice, never noticed a car. But sure enough, when Father Gabe is looking through those binoculars really quick, there's a shot of a Reaper. It's fairly fast, but driving by in a pickup truck inside now, meridian and i'm like okay i agree with lewis that makes no sense at all uh we haven't had working cars on this show in a long time partly because as we all know fuel doesn't last forever and it would be long gone at this point i think yeah i mean daryl still rides his motorbike right he's converted it to corn oil or whatever that's right uh maybe the truck was it a military truck or was it just a regular pickup truck regular red pickup truck Regular, it wasn't like a Flintstone pickup truck with uh, like, did, could you see maybe some feet underneath running around? <laughs> Couldn't see the feet. So I guess that's a possibility, but looked to me like a regular pickup truck running on gas. Was it drawn by slaves? Like, was there like a bunch of slaves pulling a rope in the front? Ooh, nope. Okay. Nope. Uh, yeah. I just, I don't remember the truck, so I'm just trying to understand. It's a really. Uh, you know, how could they possibly do this without fuel? Yeah. It's a really quick shot. I don't think there's any way Meridian would have fuel left, so... Yeah, I think, I don't know, I have a feeling like it's a little piece of stock car driving footage that they needed to fill <laughs> fill something with and they dropped it in there. Uh, like something happened in the shot that they wanted to scrub out and the only way they could figure it was to put an asset in front of it, like a, a visual. Uh, Maybe. Took some stock photography of a truck and put it in front and drove it over the spot that uh, was offending in some way. Is there any way that the green tarped thing on the roof relates to the ability to continue to drive motor vehicles 10 years into the apocalypse. Well, it could be. I mean, they have engines out there that will take anything that burns. 
right? If you could pour, yeah. uh, you know, alcohol down into the gas tank, it'd burn. If you poured kerosene, uh, which is sort of like alcohol, but, uh, you know, whatever, if you could burn it in, 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 uh, in, if you could light it on fire, you can pour it into this tank, uh, in order to fuel the, the engine. They have engines like that. Oil, old oil, cooking oil, diesel, gas, whatever you can pour it out. They're completely inefficient. Right. And they, uh, have a lot of smoke, but, uh, it could be done. Or, you know, maybe they lit a fire in the back of the truck and somehow steam powered? No. Steam powered steam, truck? Steam powered. No. And the more I think about it, maybe, maybe that's what's special about Meridian and whatever that thing on the roof is somehow lets them continue to operate vehicles like this. I don't know. And that's going to be important because they need to load up the pickup truck to take all the supplies back. Right. Something, something along those lines. I, I don't know. I'm not sure, but, uh, we have a call next from Paul in the UK who mentions that very idea amongst other things. So let's hear from Paul. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Paul in Sligo, Ireland with my reactions to promises broken. I don't know where to start or what to say with this one. It was such a bleh episode. I mean, I love the comment, love the show, love the comic. You know, it ended a bit poorly, but anyway, listen, let's get straight back to it, down to it, okay? Maggie and Father Gabe, right? So they don't want to go back with no food. So the four of them are going to carry enough food at least a week. You know, it has to be a week's journey back. Otherwise, how was Meridian there? And Daryl never found it. Daryl f- spent years looking for Rick up and down the river. He was all over the place and he never found Meridian. Yet Meridian seems to be around about a week away, okay? So you're going to load up a couple of backpacks and Father Gabe is going to limp his way home with whatever food is left for them. And we saw there was lots of food. They showed it to us because they know this is bullshit. They absolutely know this is not going to work. And it's a really crappy storyline. So they open the door and, oh, look at all the food. But how are they going to get it there? Oh, it's going to be a truck, isn't it? There's going to be a massive truck and thousands of litres of diesel in order to get them back, or gas, as you guys call it, to get them back to Alexandria and save them everyone in time. Okay, forget about the Reapers. There's such bullshit, it's unreal. Now, let's get back to the Commonwealth, the good stuff. Okay, Kayla. What about Kayla? She has to be the weirdest. Talk about Eugene. Eugene watching um, Abraham and Rosita. Kayla can't get turned on unless she's outside, outside the wire. They actually said that in the episode. They're outside the wire, outside the fence. Uh, She can't get turned on unless she's outside amongst the zombies. So, I mean, props to Kayla. Come on. Anyway, I have no idea what Hornsby's up to. No idea. What him and Mercer are in this together. Okay. What is he doing? Wandering around outside. Hornsby, he's the higher up in this area. He's wandering around outside the fence. Uh, Yumiko is outside the fence, wandering around. For, how did she get out? You know, does she have a free pass now for everything? I don't know. I'm intrigued to find out what's going to be done with this. This is going to be good. This Commonwealth stuff is going to be good. But I don't understand how it's going to play out. And why? Why would they want Alexandria? Alexandria should be nothing to them. Anyway, thanks for the podcast, boys. Amazing stuff. See ya. Paul Insilo. Thank you very much, Paul. I have a feeling I said Paul in the UK to introduce him, which uh, is probably incorrect unless he's in Northern Ireland, but I think he would have said that too. So I apologize, Paul, if I said that. He is somewhere in Ireland. 
Uh, I'm going to admit something here. I have a hard time understanding the name of his town because of his accent and also because of some of the town names in Ireland, which are, uh, you know, for what we're used to, rather wacky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sligo? I don't Is know. That... I don't know. Yeah. I've, I've been to Dublin twice, but uh, unfortunately have not left the city. But I would really like to go back there someday and tour around Ireland a little bit. Anyway. I've seen Ireland on TV. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. It's very, very nice. It's one of my favorite places. I, I've never been to Europe, so uh, I've seen it on TV and that's it. <laughs> a lot of times, Asia, I'm sure. but yeah. not Europe. That's fine. I've never been to Asia, but Europe, like all kinds of times. Anyways, um, so the truck, he mentions the truck. Why did we see the truck? Maybe just to plant that seed so that next episode when they have all this food, they suddenly have to transport somewhere. Oh, look, there's a working truck. Convenient. Oh, you know? there you go. So it's Chekhov's truck. It's Chekhov's truck. Yeah. So maybe that's what it's doing there. Um, but then to just move on to the other half of Paul's call there about, uh, you know, what's going on in the Commonwealth and Kayla only being able to get turned on when she's out amongst the zombies. That's canon now, by the way. Okay, fair yeah, enough. That's the only thing I can explain. I can, you know, girlfriend wants to, slash sister wants to go out and uh, get it on amongst the zombies because, uh, you know, having undead people watch you is exciting for some reason. Well. I mean, you know, the, the breadth of... Uh, human kink is, uh, is pretty vast yes. and wide and deep. Uh, so I'm sure that there's people out there today that would be, uh, very turned on by zombies watching them. Right. And we're, we're not here to judge if, if that's what gets no, no, you No, consenting going, adults, whatever, man, if whatever. That, if that's what gets you going, then that's what does it for you. So, um, yeah, Kayla, Kayla's clear, clearly got that thing and, uh, you know, all the better for her. Now, if you, if you think of zombieism as, uh, as you know, zombies as consumerism, right? The inevitable right. march of consumerism, then there's, there's lots of people that just want to go have sex in the mall. Oh, right? yeah. Well, people watch them and go, what the hell are they doing? I, now, that shit happens all the time. Of course. I'm pretty sure there are people out there that get a great deal of satisfaction just from buying stuff, from spending money, from acquiring things, you know? Oh yeah. That's, that's gotta be a thing for sure. So Kayla, Kayla, Michaela, Kayla, what's her name? Just Kayla. Just yep. Kayla. Uh, yeah. So if she gets uh, turned on by uh, having sex with her brother out in amongst the uh, the zombies, you know, all the power to her. I guess so. I guess so. Explains it at least. It does. It does for sure. Now, what about uh, Paul's final point there about why is the Commonwealth so obsessed with Alexandria anyways? It seems like all they want to do is find out where they are. What's, what's their deal? Like, why can't they just, uh, be like, you know what, Alexandria, it, it's probably this tiny insignificant community that is no threat to us and is pretty far away. So what are they so worried about? Are they just that kind of careful and cautious and they don't leave a stone unturned and they just want to take them out? It's a good question. I don't know the answer. I mean, how many people are at Alexandria? 20? I don't 100? know. Yeah, it's way less than 100, I think. So, you know, and, and the Commonwealth uh, has 50,000 people. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, they're not, they don't have any supplies. They don't know that. But, uh, you know, what kind of infrastructure could they have, uh, even if they had uh, specialist people 
that they needed. Maybe they just, uh, maybe they eat people. They're, they're, you know, they, they're soil and green. They eat people and they need, uh, livestock. Right. That's they need, why they're looking for anybody. Okay. Well, there you go. That could be it. If that's the case though, you'd think they would have eaten, you know, all of our characters already, but. Yeah, but that's only four people and 50,000 people need a little bit more. Uh, that's fair. Uh, more than four people. So using the four people to get more people makes more sense than just eating the four people. All right. I guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure why the Commonwealth cares so much other than it has to be like anybody out there we treat seriously because, you know, if, if a small band of ragtag rebels can blow up the Death Star, then Alexandria can take down the Commonwealth. And that's yeah, what but the Death Star was, uh, you know, it was designed for a, a, full, a direct frontal assault and uh, didn't really think about, uh, you know, small one-man fighters. Of course not. Just like the Commonwealth probably isn't thinking about a small 20-person army that, that trained on a beach, you know? Uh, yeah, that's true. So you think they put, uh, you, you think they put an exhaust port right below the main port that uh, really, you know, a, a, you know, a well-placed uh, proton torpedo? Could uh, start a chain reaction that would destroy the whole thing. Well, well placed uh, crossbow bolt, right? Could just, just destroy the whole thing. Yeah. I, I think that might be the case, and that's why they take these little groups seriously because they've seen Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Right? Yeah, I mean, we're completely forgetting about the fact that that uh, that design flaw was intentionally built in, uh, but we'll just ignore that for now. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, never mind. All right, next we have a call from Scott. Hey, Jason. Hey, Chris. This is Scott from Arkansas with some thoughts about uh, this week's episode. And it's regarding uh, Fancy Boy. I guess Sebastian was his name and his dates and what was going on with where they had their date at and why uh, they were in this particular location. I think of it as uh, Fancy Boy or Sebastian as being like Joffrey from Game of Thrones. You know, his mom's the governor. She's got power. And so he abuses this privilege that he has. And I think the reason why they have the date where they're having it at, uh, outside the wire, as you'd say, is because I think they're um, like adrenaline junkies. I think it's thrill-seeking. I think that uh, it's a way for them to get off of like... uh, Hey, look, we can go out here where other people normally shouldn't go or told they can't go, but I can get us there. And Mercer is there as his protection, but he's probably told him, hey, you know, don't be watching us. You know, we want our privacy, so give us some space. So that may be the reason why he wasn't there uh, to stop the uh, zombies before. Um, uh, what's his uh, eyebrows? Uh, Eugene could get to him. Anyway, just curious to see what y'all think about that. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Scott. Thanks. I do think it's a apt comparison. Now, it's it. there are no characters that I've ever come across in almost anything that are as just absolutely horrible as Joffrey on Game of Thrones. It was pretty, yeah, it was tough. It, that it, guy. is a tough character. I mean, it's so tough, even the, the actor had to quit acting. It, it almost least. ruined his career, yeah. He was such a prick on that show, and that doesn't even... But that's- that's kudos to him, right? He yeah. played it so well that he had to quit acting afterwards. I mean, that's happened to uh, lots of good actors. You know, they get typecast and it's just like, yeah, you did that a little too well, I think. Uh, you're going to have to not do anything else ever. Right. Yeah. No, that's true. <laughs> but it's sort of conceptually, it is the thing, right? He he was, you know, Joffrey was royalty and never had to, never wanted for anything in his life, right? And it, it made him into the little bastard that he was um sebastian is 
I mean, we don't know too much about him other than, than he's an arrogant prick and rude to people, but it's the same thing. He's the son of the most powerful person in the city, basically, and always got everything he wants, can do whatever he wants. And if he wants to take his girlfriend out for a little thrill-seeking for some outside-the-wire thrill-seeking sex, then uh, he can do that. And when it doesn't go his way, he reacts like a little baby man. Yeah, I could do it. There you go. Uh, so, Scott, I have a question for you. Did you say what's his eyebrows because I say what's his eyebrows, or is that a thing in Arkansas that I don't know about? Either one is fucking awesome, but I'm curious. I have a feeling that you may have started a thing, Jason. Like, what's his eyebrows has been, was coined, maybe not coined on this podcast, but uh, I think it's the first place a lot of people heard it come out of your mouth, and now look, it's being used in the popular lexicon. Yeah, okay, so, uh, okay, so me and small pockets of Arkansas. <laughs> That's fine. It starts, fine with me. has to start somewhere, and it'll, yeah. it'll get around. I mean, uh, this podcast has done a lot of things over the years, and one of them is now introduced a phrase into pop culture. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. It's just, it's just me and Scott, but... That's okay. That's where it starts. That's where it right? starts. Exactly. That's where it starts. Let's get it. Let's keep it going. All right. Very, very cool. Am I up next? I think I'm up next. You are. This email comes from Chris in the UK and Chris writes, I don't think it's reasonable to expect Eugene to work out what is going on in the heat of the moment. You know, we know he gets it now, but the perspective of the bratty kid is so alien to Eugene's worldview, it would take him a little time to get his head around it. And as for the kid being out there where it was dangerous, we get from Hornsby that he obviously does a lot, and Chris hit the nail on the head, thank you. It's about privilege. He's had years of it being reinforced, that he can go anywhere and do anything he wants, and other people will protect and pick up after him. I have to say that even if I'd fully clocked what was going on, I'm not sure I would have been able to prevent myself from hitting him either. The attitude displayed here is infuriating, but sadly entirely real, and I've not been great at moderating my response when I've seen it in the past, so I entirely buy that even someone like Eugene would struggle. Now, that's where I ended Chris's email, but he goes on to uh, tell a story about going to play golf once, and the um, manager of the golf club came and made a comment about his his car and saying maybe he should wash his car next time he parks it in their fancy golf course parking lot. Oh, Jesus. So what he did is uh, next time he played there, he put on like the shittiest golf outfit and clothes he could, oh, yeah, got the perfect. crappiest car he could, uh, had access to, and then drove it up and parked it there just to piss the guy off. And uh, kudos, Chris. I think that is an fantastic and most appropriate response <laughs> that is fantastic that's uh, uh my first thought was to ask the uh uh which, ask which clean car was his so that i may key hit key it at a later time and date Ooh, yeah uh, maybe you know, maybe throw some but, mud on it well, i don't know about that but uh, yeah. you know revenge is a dish best served cold right so you Indeed. don't go and key the car right away you wait but this is a great, great one, great way to do it too. You, if you're going to play golf, you dress like you're going to play golf, right? <laughs> Even if it's uh, you know, a little bit loud. I used to go play golf with my stepdad. Every once in a while, we wore these with the same shirts. We had the, the we both had the same shirt. It was this white shirt with like lots. It was the eighties. Uh, lots of colorful splashes on it, like lines and shit. And uh -huh. they, they were loud and they were obnoxious. But we'd both we go play golf wearing the same shirt. 
my mother would go into an apoplectic fit when she saw us leaving the house in that shirt going, you can't, you can't go play golf in that, in the same loud shirt uh, as each other. It's like, yeah, watch. We leave. We're about to. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Those were good times. So Those. yeah, if, uh, if I was going to get to uh, somebody bitching at me for, uh, you know, ruining their posh parking lot of right. the golf course, I think I'd come back and, uh, yes, like I'll show you, uh, obnoxious. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I also think Chris is correct in saying that it's a little unreasonable to expect Eugene to figure out what's going on in that moment without be- being given some kind of heads up. You know, this is the frigging zombie apocalypse. Zombies are dangerous. They will kill you. And he sprung into action and saved that guy's life uh, and reacted how he should have. So I'm, I think I'm on Chris's side here, not just because we have the same name, but uh, because he makes a really good point. All right. Well, these are good points and uh, I'll, uh, I'll acquiesce to the Chris's. All right. The Chris I. The Chrissy C's. Or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. We have uh, a, an email, not a call, an email from uh, Ian in Countess Thorpe, UK. I think Countess, so, yeah. Countess Thorpe? Countess? I'd say Thorpe. Okay, Countess Thorpe, uh, UK. Ian writes, I wanted to write and get your thoughts on the use of the Whisperer's style masks that now seem to have taken the place of stench coats or gormiflage. All sense of jeopardy is gone if any small groups such as Maggie's can whip up a quick mask within hours that's clean and dry, fits over your head and with very few problems, and allows free passage for, uh, for so long as you walk slowly and drop a shoulder. The stench coats were frustrating in a day's ex machina sort of way that allowed escape for any, from any tricky situation so long that it wasn't raining, but this is another level in, totally. Uh, what are your feelings about them? How long does it even take to dry out and cure a human skin fresh off the bone? Well, I don't really think I can answer that last question, but I do take Ian's point here that the Whisperer masks seem to have replaced, at least on this show, the idea of covering yourself in zombie gore and being able to move amongst them. The theory there was that you smelled like them, right? So they couldn't detect your like living person smell and want to eat you. Well, that's not really a case when you're just wearing a mask. Now, suddenly it's all about sort of like a disguise, right? And the, now the zombies aren't smart enough to look at you and go, oh, you're, you're alive. I want to eat you. They look at you and go, oh, that's another zombie. So is it smell? Is it sight? Is it noise? Is it sound, right? Uh, They are attracted to sound. I mean, we know that. So I do think Ian is right when he says that the Whisperer masks, and I don't know how we didn't really think of this before, but the Whisperer masks, in a way, make it a little too easy. Uh, And they change the rules in a way, right? Like, why not stick to the smell rule instead of go for the sight rule? I don't know. Well, yeah. Uh, I don't know how long it takes to uh, cure human skin, but I would think at least 36 to 72 hours. Uh, certainly not yeah. one or two hours like it seems on the show, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, if you really want to if you really want to uh, disguise yourself as a zombie, you rip off somebody's skin and you put it on right away, uncured, untreated. Yeah. Just put on somebody's face. If we learned anything from Hannibal Lecter, it's if you put on somebody's face, you can probably get away with it for a while. Right. So if you put on a zombie's face, I mean, that's, 
is it grosser than gourmetflage? Probably, because yeah. at least you, you know you're putting on somebody else's face, and that's got to be uh, upsetting at the very least. At the very least, yeah. But at the same time, it it plays. It follows the rules, right? If you tear off someone's skin and put it on you, it's all still bloody and goopy. So it kind of is gourmetflage, yeah. but it's just you're wearing the skin as well. Like that works for me. It's the dried, like perfectly stitched mask that fits over your face, you know, like a glove. And uh, that that kind of breaks the rules, I think. And is rubbery. Like if we know anything, they, they're very stretchy. Yeah. Face masks. Yeah. Uh. All right. So, uh, okay. So let's, let's, let's put it in the realm of, uh, mission impossible magic. Uh, so they could make masks that make you look and sound and, uh, like anybody you want and change your height and your weight, uh, and whatever you need them to do. Right. Uh, That's fine. So you put on the mask. It's basically, it's like putting on the cloak of invisibility from Harry Potter. Did I ruin too many movies all at once? No. Uh, so it's putting on a magic item that uh, magically cloaks you. In this case, you have to, you know, not just cloak yourself, but you have to play the part as well, right? It's like uh, when in uh, Lord of the Rings, they had those cloaks that could make them, uh, that could hide them, make them look like rocks that they got from the, uh, yep. the, the hobbits got from the elves. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it's one thing to put the cloak over you, but you have to put it over you and then hide a little bit to make it to blend in. You can't just like hold it up between you and who you're hiding from and have it magically uh, cloak you. You have to you have to put in a little effort to make the cloak work. So uh, maybe that's what they're doing. They're just they made the magic item. They take the time, you know, be it ten minutes to to make the magic item. They put it on. They you know shamble around a little bit. Don't trip on rocks because zombies don't like that. But uh, yeah, they're magic items. Yeah. And, you know, considering they're magic items, like having said everything I did a minute ago, I do think that this is one of those cases where you just have to suspend your disbelief a little bit, at, at least when it comes to the creation of the masks. Uh, I do still think that it is playing fast and loose with the rules a little bit. But if it if they can make masks in two, three hours or less, like... I can get past that, I think, because we don't want to watch a show about mask making unless it's the Reaper's craft table <laughs> that, that you're standing at, That then maybe, but... Uh, well, that's more of a game show. I guess that's more of a game show. Why not? Um, yeah, so if we can put the mask making behind us, um, then fine, whatever. I guess the masks still serve a purpose that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, but they do. And it's just one more way for our heroes to move amongst the zombies and use the zombies as weapons, right? Because it's not just about moving amongst them. The whispers figure out how to herd them and, you know, sick them on somebody, which is exactly what Maggie and Negan are about to do. Yep. Well, that makes sense. So there you go. I don't know how much of an overlap there is between this podcast and uh, Tolkien aficionados. So, but I just wanted to head off any emails that come in. I know that the cloaks that the elves gave to the hobbits were not magic items. They were just made by elves. And when elves make things, they make things that are better. Uh, And they behave this way, like a clasp that, uh, uh, that Gimli and uh, Aragorn found from the cloak from, uh, you know, uh, 
Pippin and Mary when they were being carried off by the orcs, the clasp that fell, and he said that uh, the clasps don't fall so easily. It's not that they're magic clasps that never come undone. It's just they were made by elves and they're made better and they don't come undone by themselves. Right. There you go. Good clasps. Good clasps. So yeah, any Tolkien aficionados out there, uh, those are not magic cloaks. They're just elven cloaks. Elven elves. Elves. The guy from the Matrix was an elf in Lord of the Rings, right? The guy from the Matrix? What guy from the Matrix? The, the, okay, one of the, in Lord of the Rings, the, one of the main elf, elves, is that they, Oh, yeah, yeah, you have Agent Smith. Agent uh, Smith, right. Yeah, uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert guy. That guy, right. It's the first time. <laughs> we, can, we can list all his movies, but I can't think of his name. But anyways, that guy, right, right. okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, he was, uh, yes, he was in the Matrix, and he was in Lord of the Rings, and he was in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And who was the- and V for Vendetta. Who was the woman who was the elf, the female elf? Uh, she glowed a lot. In Gladriel? That was... Uh, what was her name? <laughs> are you talking about Steven Tyler's daughter? Yeah, Liv Tyler. Liv Tyler. Liv she was Tyler. in there, right? She was in that, yeah. Okay, good. She was one of the elves. There's other elves. Yeah, yeah. Just want to make sure I got my elves straight. <laughs> you need to watch the movies again? What's going on here? Oh, it's been a hundred years, man. I And the last time I tried to watch them, I couldn't sit through the first one. It was... I don't know. I, I love those movies when they were new, but I don't find they hold up to rewatching, at least for me. But at the same time, I want to try to force my kids to do it and see if they'll like them. So maybe that's the next series we have to watch and I'll just suck it up. Well, start by reading the books. Yeah, I never have, which is interesting. Well, that, that's, that's the problem. So read the books, like, or at least get them on Audible and listen to them because I think they're fantastic and listening to them is, is, is awesome. Uh, but yes, Make that happen. Then you'll want to watch the movies again to see how they compare and contrast to the novels. Okay, good plan. I'll I'll add that to the list of things to do. And then watch, uh, there's a whole host of YouTube videos on describing the various aspects of uh, Tolkien lore, uh, like about the Balrog, the history of the Balrog, that big fire demon thing uh-huh. that comes out of the pit and fights uh, Gandalf. Yep. Uh, there's... It's fascinating to watch what the history of that Balrog or what history of the Balrogs are, are like. It's great. All right. Do they have wings? Like the whole, the whole question, do Balrogs have wings? The answer is yes, maybe no, probably, but kind not of. necessarily. Anyway. Sounds fascinating, wow. but uh, we need to talk about that more another time because I think I'm next. I, I, I was hoping to not get derailed too much on this particular episode of the podcast. Uh, so I apologize. Yet here we you, are. You are next uh, with Matt in Lindenwald, New Jersey. Matt writes, I'm very happy Maggie is back. She was also, she was always one of my favorites. And I think she's as good as ever. You mentioned, of course, the best conversation in the episode. I didn't think Negan was being a dick or lacking remorse when telling Maggie he should have killed them all, from his perspective, not killing them caused the death of his friends, colleagues, and those looking to him as a leader. It also lost him his safety and caused him six years imprisonment. I do believe he honestly wants to fit in and help with our main group now, but that doesn't mean he can't miss the people and things he has lost. So there you go. Uh, I agree. It was the best scene in the episode and it surprised me and shocked me. And yet here we are. Uh, he lost a lot, Negan, despite, and, and, and that doesn't, that's sort of mutually exclusive from the fact that he was and probably still is a terrible 
person who did terrible things, he still lost a lot. And uh, human beings are going to react to that kind of thing the way many of us would. And, and nobody thinks they're the bad guy. Nobody right? thinks they're the bad guy, no. And from a certain point of view, maybe they're not, but there's, there's got to be people out there that know they're the bad guy. Like, I'm an evil person. Uh, Edward Kempler, Kemper, for uh-huh. example, uh-huh. he was a, 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 here we are on a, getting derailed slightly, but he murdered a whole bunch of people, including his mother and his grandparents. And uh, he hung around with cops and he knew for sure that he would never be caught. So he turned himself in because he knew what he was doing was wrong and that he was the bad guy. And once he got in the prison, he's, you know, he was happy. He's a very affable guy, got, a well, got along well with everybody. Uh, but he just knew that if, uh, nobody's ever going to catch me, if I don't turn myself in, I'll never get caught. And, uh, what I'm doing is wrong. So I have to turn myself in. Well, very, uh, very rational for a person who murdered a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. Anyway. There you go. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. But sick. Anyway, what, what's going on now? Okay. Next we have a call from Joe. Hi, Jason. Hi, Chris. This is Joe from St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I'm calling to make uh, two comments. One point was about Maggie uh, when she fell and the walkers turned around and you you all were talking about how it didn't make any sense that the walkers would pay any attention to that. But I do recall that she made some sort of noise or a grunt or groan or something when she fell. Um, so that's what I thought alerted the walkers to come to attack her. And the other thing I wanted to mention was about Ezekiel. Um, when he came back after having his uh, treatment or whatever they did for uh, for him at the doctor, he, he came back so uh, elated that he just seemed like he was high on something to me. I, that was... My first thought was that, oh, they really drugged him up with something because he was just so overly excited and happy that um, it just kind of surprised me. But anyway, that's all the thoughts I have on that. And um, still, I love your show. I listen to you all the time. And uh, I um, can't wait to hear what you think. Thanks. Bye. Oh, thanks, Joe. Um, So first of all, on the Maggie thing, I went back and checked, and when she trips over the rock, she doesn't actually fall down. She just stumbles a little bit, which seems in line with the way zombies walk. And she does make a very slight human-sounding noise. She doesn't say anything. She doesn't, like, exclaim in any loud, significant way. Uh, And, you know, a little grunt or groan because she tripped, I feel like, would you know, not alert a zombie. She does kind of make a noise that's not totally zombie, so that must have been it, but it wasn't very loud, in my opinion, so I don't think, if that's what they're going for, I don't think they really pulled it off that well on the show. And whisperers whisper, right? They talk, they make words. They do. Zombies don't make words, so uh, they're able to communicate and do things un-zombie-like, like have conversations. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Short ones, low very low toned ones, but, uh, yeah, uh, I agree that, uh, the whole thing was meant to say she tripped up, right? It was metaphorical. It was, uh, she did, she did something that was, uh, unexpected, uh, and therefore was a failure, you know, uh, you know, her failure in the cave. Yeah. Like Luke, uh, 
They had to, they had to show, they, they just had to show her learning, like going through the process of learning how to do this. And that's how they chose to do it, I guess. If she just had said, ah, crap, loudly, right? Yep. Because she tripped, then problem solved. Problem solved. The whole thing is, uh, is moot and it probably never would have come up in our conversation. There you go. What about the Ezekiel stuff? When he comes back after visiting the hospital, he's almost a little too happy. Is he on something? Not necessarily. Uh, I mean, when you're carrying around a burden, a mental burden, like what he's been carrying around for such a long time, even though it's not fixed, but at least somebody's giving positive attention to it has got to, you know, really fill you with happy hormones. Just the relief of, uh, you know, having someone pay attention and care about that and the possibility of it not being a relentless death sentence. you know, just having that possibility can be uh, very uplifting and can change your mood, yeah. at least in the short term, significantly. Absolutely. And think about as what kind of guy Ezekiel is, right? Like, think about when we first got to knew, know him. He was playing that character of the king, and that's the way he was. He was always super positive and, uh, and just seemed happy and things like that. So I think that's just his uh, personality coming out a little bit again after, like you said, all this sort of real burden that he's been under with, you know, knowing that he's dying of cancer and there's essentially nothing he can do about it. So yeah, nice to see him happy again, I I think. It is. And, you know, the reason I say that is uh, I don't want to get into too much detail, but uh, I have seen someone go through this where, uh, you know, there is a very significant illness and there is uh, not only a reprieve, but a possibility of a recovery, at least limited recovery. And the elation that came out of that was, uh, was absolutely significant and was uh, kind of jarring. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was relatively short-lived and it didn't end up coming to fruition, but it was there. Mm-hmm. And that the mood uplift is uh, non-trivial. Like it's very, very significant. Yeah, I've seen exactly the same thing. I've been through stuff like that as well. And and on a even on a very small scale, uh myself, you know, I have been through that sort of thing too. So yeah. I know exactly what you mean and it doesn't st- strike me un- as unusual at all for the way Ezekiel to walk back out and be like I am back, baby. Everything is great, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, there's also a possibility that they gave him a nice big shot of cocaine, right? Here's some uh, I'm going to give you something to make you feel a little bit better. There's no reason not to give him a bunch of coke. Right. You could shoot that, right, if you had to? I guess so, yeah. If, if you could snort it, you got to get it into your body somehow, so I'm sure they could mix it up into a, I don't know. a needle somehow. Anyway, I, I don't never, see, never see really why thought why, yeah, why not? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, all righty. Uh, next call from Jeremy? Yeah. All right. Hey, Chris and Jason, it's Jeremy from Indy. I know it's been a minute since I called you, but I had to weigh in on this most recent episode, except for the Negan and Maggie talk. I absolutely hated this episode. It just drug on for me. Um, I don't, I didn't like how Maggie uh, just agreed to Negan when he brought up that deal. Uh, And after everything that went on and everything that happened, she agreed to it. And I can't believe Negan even tried to propose it. Anyway, I know it was just to push along the plot or whatever, but those guys, it, it just it just sucked. The deal with Leah and Daryl. I don't know about you guys, but I don't really, I can't invest in Leah. I really don't give a two shits about her. Um, the Pope is just another 
angry dude uh, that everybody hates and is killing everybody and yelling. And we've seen it before. It, it's just the same old drub, the same old shit. Um, wasn't Leah, she was maybe in that episode once. I can't even remember her being in that episode with Daryl where they were supposed to be at the cabin together. Um, maybe I missed that one, but their whole relationship, I could give a shit about it. Thanks again, guys. Thanks for your, all your help and uh all your help <laughs> thanks for all your good help and, and uh, hard work on the podcast is what i meant to say um and uh i'll talk to you guys soon thanks bye i didn't really know where to put jeremy's call here into the flow of the episode because he was talking about pope and leah and daryl a little bit as well as maggie and the deal with negan and stuff like that so i decided to put it here close to the end Sure. Um, and uh, I did edit it a little bit uh, just to keep it on point there. But thank you, Jeremy, for sending that in. Um, I, when it comes to the Negan Maggie deal, I think I like that. Like, I, I think it, it makes, it's going to make for something interesting to come of it, right? These two characters who really don't like each other, or at least one doesn't like the other to a, extreme extent but they're forced to work together and early on in the season i felt that was a little ham-fisty to like you know kill everybody just to get these two alone together they were only alone for a short time so now they're kind of forced to work together and reluctantly and they've made this deal so that they can so that hopefully both characters can get something out of it and i do find that kind of interesting where it goes I don't know if uh, if Maggie's going to be able to sort of make good on her end of the deal or stick to what she said she's going to do. I think that might be interesting to find out. And um, yeah, just to have Negan sit there and have that conversation that made me interested, just be interested in him, you know, more than I have been in a little while. So uh, I think I think so far we've gotten mostly good out of out of their interactions and their sort of relationship together and i think the deal just kind of makes it uh even a little bit more interesting so i'm okay with the deal yeah deal's okay i think uh i i think it'll make for interesting storytelling in the future yeah that's that's basically all you you can hope for as for leah and daryl uh, and then, I mean, Jeremy was saying that, uh, he doesn't even remember the episode with the cabin where they first met. Maybe he missed that. And I, to that, I say, I totally get it. If you didn't watch that episode or we never got that one. And now all of a sudden we have this stuff going on between Daryl and Leah, none of it would make any sense. It wouldn't, there wouldn't be any investment in her at all. Um, but because we did get that episode, we have the framework of Daryl's feelings for her, which is kind of what makes it work, right? Like if we go back to the beginning of this podcast, I think it was Monica who called in and was talking about how she's all invested in Leah. And at least a huge part of that has to be because of the history between these two and what we saw in that cabin. So Jeremy, if you missed that, that's probably part of your problem, but uh, you know, you never know. I mean, if he just doesn't like the character, that's fine too. Yep. Exactly. So there uh, you go. <laughs> thanks, Jeremy. All right. Uh, our last email here is from Kale in Melbourne, Australia. The change 
the change from shooting with film versus now shooting on digital is has really changed the atmosphere of the show. In earlier seasons, they intentionally made the show look grainy to create a gritty, unflattering appearance, but there's now a sense of polish that seems to lessen the character's Im- imminent sense of danger. I noticed this in particular in this week's episode, Promises Broken. I understand that the contrast in production design and uh, costuming seen in the Commonwealth, these things are going to look different. But when Eugene and Stephanie were fighting off walkers, I noticed how truly the mu- how much the show has lost its grit. I never felt like they were ever really ever in danger. Yeah, so while I was preparing this and I was reading Kale's uh, email, I, I happened to have the show on, the episode on, just playing beside me, which I often do. And when I was reading this, it just coincidentally was at the bit where Princess was telling Ezekiel to go see the doctor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I looked over at it and I'm like, man, Kale is right. It really looks crisp and colorful and good. And it really does lack that that grit that it used to have. It it almost looked too good, right, once he pointed it out. So I can completely see the point here that... uh, that the show is just brighter and clearer than it used to be. And it's weird how that kind of can, can affect your um, perception of it a little bit, right? Like it's, I find it weird that how crisper video makes you feel like they're in less danger, but it really kind of does, you know, it, it made them feel safer. And when I was looking at them in that situation, I'm like, I know they're, they're, there aren't any zombies around at that moment and there, you know, there isn't an enemy right there, but they were just killing zombies in a building, but I never really felt like there was any danger. And part of it must be just a subconscious thing looking at this clear, crisp video. It's like, oh, that's real life. They're not in danger, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I never really, uh, like I know that there's a difference. There is the difference between uh, the film and the the high-res digital uh, and I know it looks crisp and cleaner. I didn't really notice it in this episode. The only reason I didn't feel like they were in any danger is that the whole situation seemed like a training course right. on how to kill zombies to me. And that's why I felt there was no danger. I mean, it, yeah. the, 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 the footage could have contributed to it, but for me, that uh, didn't really factor in. It's a fair point. I mean, there's there's a lot going on that um, shapes your feelings and your view on a scene to scene basis. Right. But I, I can't discount what Kale is saying and that the, the different technology for filming sort of plays into it a little bit, but so does things like what you're talking about, what you get out of a scene and, and the circumstances around it. So yeah, lots of stuff going on, but thanks for the email, Kale. And thanks everyone who emailed and called in this week. It was a lot of great thoughts on an episode that in some ways was a little meh, uh, but that's great. I always tend to get a lot more out of it after reading the calls and, or reading the emails and listening to the calls, not the other way around. So, <laughs> so thank you, everyone. Uh, next time, we only have one more episode of the walking dead before it goes on hiatus and that is episode eight coming up this sunday on amc i know a lot of you have already seen it already because it's been out on amc plus for uh most of this week um so if you have thoughts or comments get those in but first we have to do our recap episode of it which will be coming on monday and the episode is titled for blood 
Like so, number four blood? No, the word F-O-R, four okay. blood. Four blood. Okay. Not four blood. <laughs> four blood. Right. Speaking of golf. Speaking of golf. Uh, so if you want to do a title read, uh, send one in. I think I have one already, but the more the better. So speak yourself saying four blood. I guess record yourself, not speak yourself. Well, you could speak yourself, you know, speak for yourself recorded. There you go. Something like that. Record That's yourself. Good word usement, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and uh, get it into us. Send it in. That would be great. We'll get it on the podcast on Monday. It is, as we said, holiday Thanksgiving Monday for us, but podcast must go on. We will yeah, be we recording don't. It's that. Canadian Thanksgiving. Nobody gives a shit, including us. So we're still going to do our episode, even though I kind of do. Like I really enjoy Thanksgiving, but as do I. And know, I plan on making a full turkey dinner. It's and, not. Uh, I enjoy doing the whole thing, so I'm going to do the whole thing for the family. Nobody's going to eat it but me. Uh, but that's okay. Well, Jenny will eat it. Jasper, there's no way. Uh, it, turkey's just like chicken. Doesn't he eat chicken? He'll eat that. Uh, Mashed I, potatoes. I'd have, to, I'd have to bread it. Oh, I'd have to. It's. Uh, he's five. You get, there's no accounting for taste. You get, uh, there's no accounting to do. for age. That's the problem. Uh, yeah. You got to, uh, he won't eat mashed potatoes? Uh, sometimes, okay. but not really. All right. <laughs> uh, if I put enough butter in them, maybe he'll take a bite. But it's wow. it's a matter of uh, trying to impart the desire to try it is the problem. And, yeah, and that's a common usually problem. Usually, it's it, it, I'm not going to eat that. That looks disgusting. <laughs> is usually what's uh, what comes out of his mouth. Well, that's a that's a whole different problem. But uh, <laughs> that's too bad. Um, I I hope he will try the turkey dinner because I bet it'll be delicious. I don't care. I'm going to make it. I'm going to. I'll I'll eat it. Uh, no problem. No problem. If he wants to eat a chicken burger. That's fine. All right. <laughs> well. Hope all you Canadians out there have uh, good Thanksgivings. And, uh, but like I said, not going to prevent the podcast from happening. So we should have that next Monday night. Before then, though, if you want to get in touch with us, absolutely do so. Uh, visit talkingdeadpodcast.com. Click on send voicemail at the top to record a message. You can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash the Talking Dead. We. Or is it patreon.com slash talking dead? I don't know. Search for us on Patreon. I don't know why my brain's not working right now. <laughs> You'll figure it out. It's <laughs> yeah, fine. Exactly. Uh, there are links on the website to that too. Yeah, do that. Something's wrong. I'm already on uh, long weekend brain. That's the problem. Uh, do that. And we have, of course, one more episode before the hiatus, as I said. So one more prize giveaway. And if you become a patron, you are included in that draw. So very, very exciting. Um, so do that if you want to, uh, okay. What else? Talking dead podcast at gmail.com. That's the email address where you can send all your messages and, uh, they all come to me and I read every last one of them. So thank you to everybody. Alrighty. That's going to do it for today. Until next time. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.